0: Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us today. I'm Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time, nine-year survivor of breast cancer, and I'm thrilled that you are joining today to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network because... We have an amazing show, just really full of important information, and I'm going to just jump right into it because we have so much to talk about. So my guest today is Rachel Grob, M.A., Ph.D. She's super, uh, she's got a lot going on, Director of National Initiatives, Senior Scientist, and Clinical Professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Center for Patient Partnerships and Department of Family Medicine. Oh, I think I got all that. So we are going to be talking about the research that Rachel and her team have been doing over the past few years and what they heard from people about their experiences with breast cancer. And they developed this amazing web-based resource, which can is going to be incredibly useful for people with breast cancer, their families, friends, and other audiences. And of course I love this even more because they interviewed me back in 2018 and you all know how much I love to talk about myself. Um, But really, the information they have compiled and the resource they have created is so good. So we are going to tell you all how to do that. But Rachel, welcome. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. And thanks so much for being here.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners today. I... um, as you summarized, I, I work at the University of Wisconsin in a variety of roles. I really identify as an action researcher with equal emphasis on both sides there. So we do research that is rigorous and systematic to understand people's experiences with health and with healthcare. And we take action with what we learned by making it publicly available for lots of audiences by focusing on what we learned that's actionable to make health and healthcare work better for cancer survivors like you and all of your listeners um, and other folks who may have unequal um, access to health and healthcare around the country.
1: Well, and that's super important because we know how, unfortunately, the access to healthcare is not available to everyone as much as we would like it to be. So having this kind of a web-based resource is, is really great. So what, tell us about, it is called the web resource, it's called Health Experiences USA. How did that come about?
2: Well, there's a whole community behind this, um, as is true in many instances. There's always a backstory, and uh, this one starts way back in the UK about 20 years ago at Oxford University, when a physician um, got breast cancer herself, and a another clinician uh, had a knee replacement, and they realized that while there's a lot of systematic data that can be accumulated and looked at in its total to understand what the evidence generated by science is telling us. There was not an equivalent kind of resource about people's experiences, the lived experience. And once you get breast cancer or once you have a knee replacement, you realize how critical that is. So the team at Oxford developed a methodology called the database of individual patient experience methodology to get at a um, rigorous summary of diverse experiences with health and healthcare. And that methodology has now spread to 14 countries around the world. And we are part of an international community that is using it. um, And we're leading out of the University of Wisconsin and a bunch of our partner universities around the U.S., um, this effort to make patients' experiences, the qualitative stories about living, in this case with breast cancer, um, credible, usable data sources, and also useful pragmatic tools um, for those very same people and their communities.
1: I love that because it's it's very needed. Obviously, there are a lot of different different narratives online. What what makes this one different?
2: I think it's really that rigor piece, that sort of rigor plus impact or science plus impact. Right? Many of the sites um, that are out there will, like ours, have video testimonials, and they are wonderful. And I will not cast any aspersions on them um, ever. I think having people come forward and speak for themselves and tell their stories is a critical um, aspect of our democracy and our public domain. What makes our website different is that it is a summary of systematic and rigorous research where we have a sampling frame We try to talk to the most diverse group of people about, in this case, breast cancer. We do a team-based science analysis of what we've learned. We pull out both themes and um, specifics that represent the diversity of the stories. And then we cut clips from the interviews that we've done and recorded on video to illustrate that theme and variation. So we've got a scientifically anchored um, series of testimonials on our site. And I don't know any other sites that do that besides the other ones that use this Dipex methodology I was mentioning around the world. Sure. Now, if
1: say a listener goes to goes to this website, what, what are they going to see I, like I, I've looked at it, but like how you know we're talking about the rigor in the scientific process. But when they go to this website, what are, what are they going to find?
2: Along the left hand side, they're going to find a list of topics like um, getting support when you have breast cancer or chemotherapy and radiation or um, advocacy in breast cancer or getting the breast cancer diagnosis. And when they click on those topics, they will go to a page that summarizes everything we heard in 40 interviews that we did with people around the country who have breast cancer, and they will be able to play clips from those interviews and hear people talking in their own voices, describing what it was like to look for a support group, what it was like to um, to come back into the realm of intimacy and sexuality with their partners, what it was like to um, make decisions about hormone replacement therapy, et cetera, all of those topics. And they will be able to decide who they want to listen to. They can also go to a part of the site called People's Profiles and see photographs or images from all Mm -hmm. 40 people. And they can go in and click on a person who – whose story they want to hear in more depth, and they can see all of the clips that were selected for inclusion on the site from that person's interview and sort of get to know them one-on-one. Got it. Well, I remember
1: when I was interviewed by your associate, Meg Wise, um, gosh, three years ago. And it we were, she was here for hours and we just talked and chatted. And it, the questions, while very direct and important, it was really like a conversation. So, I, I hope that people going and looking at these video clips, and we were talking previously from the 40 interviews, there are 375 clips on this website. And we'll give it to you at the beginning and at the end again, but it's health forward slash breast hyphen cancer forward slash overview. So I'm sure you can find it if you just look for health experiences, and then you can dig down further into it. But who else might find this resource helpful other than say breast cancer patients?
2: Their family and friends. I think to get to hear firsthand testimonials about the breadth, of experiences and depth of experiences without having to trouble their loved ones always to help them understand some of what might be going on. So that is always a prime audience for this work. It's very useful to clinicians in practice to hear without actually taking action. They can absorb what you, people with breast cancer have had to say um, without being in that action mode where they're going to fix it and respond um, <laughs> and therefore improve that capacity to listen, to empathize, to understand, to even identify their own moments when it's hard to listen, when it's hard to hear about the tough stuff um, or share, you know, that that tear of joy about the good stuff. Um This material is used in curriculum for health professionals of all kinds. We've used um, a companion piece to this that was on depression to educate medical students at my university for years. Um, We've done some measurement around that. We know that it increases empathy. It decreases stigma Um, as medical students, for example, are getting acquainted with a particular Condition. It helps people understand as they're in training for their professions that you met one person with breast cancer, you've met one person with breast cancer because the next person with breast cancer has a whole different life context within which they are experiencing the disease and their own journey through it. We use it to influence policy and system change. Um, Right now, we're working on insurance and financial practices related to another study that we did where we really heard about coverage issues and we're using the live lived experience testimony to push for policy change. So those are some of our audiences.
1: Nice. I love that. It would be very very helpful if we could get the age for screening lower, not higher, which they just put it higher, which is insane. Uh, But Yeah. So that would be fabulous. But um, you mentioned depression. So other than breast cancer, what other types of health conditions have, has health experiences looked at?
2: We have a very ambitious agenda. Um, (laughs) Always good. (laughs) Exactly. We, we, uh, we, we think big at Oxford, which I mentioned at the beginning here, where they, you know, were the originators of this methodology. They have published about 120 different studies in this web-based resource modality. They have a huge archive of many thousands of interviews where they can also look across the interviews at things like, what was it like? Um, How do people define recovery across different kinds of cancer, for example? That's a question Mm -hmm. they could answer. So, in the U.S., we have about 12 such studies um, funded and in the field, and we have Four so far already published on our website. And those are, as you mentioned, depression, traumatic brain injury, and in veterans. Um, we have a module that's a companion to the breast cancer one that we're just releasing today with this podcast, um, that is on cancer risk that runs in families. Nice. So that includes people with breast cancer, but also with other heritable disorders. Um, and then we've got about eight more of them in the pipeline that will be going live in the next couple of years.
1: Wow. That's fabulous. How did you focus right now and, and your team on, on moving the breast cancer topic forward?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think you or your audience needs to hear from me what how important breast cancer is as a topic. So, we agree with you <laughs> that it's a pressing issue, and we know, we all know the numbers, we know the prevalence. If we ourselves have not had breast cancer or thought we had breast cancer, we certainly know other people in our lives who have. So, we were interested as a research network across the U.S. um, in selecting topics that would have a big audience and a big impact, and depression was one of those topics, and breast cancer was one of those topics. Mm -hmm. I also really want to give a shout out to Dr. Chris Sorkness and Dr. Maureen Smith at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, who had a special interest in this topic, um, particularly Dr. Sorkness, who had some personal experiences herself. Mm Um, And was a great advocate and also to the Wisconsin Partnership Program, which agreed to fund this research along with our um, Clinical and Translational Sciences Corps, because they agreed with you also that breast cancer is a, a key area of focus.
1: Yeah. How did you how did you go about making sure that everything you you talked about in your study was relevant and really hearing what people were saying about their breast cancer experiences?
2: Yeah, a lot of that's baked into the method that we use on the rigor side of um, rigor and impact here. Mm-hmm. And so you you mentioned having um, Dr. Weg- Meg Wise at your house. She's highly trained. She knows how to listen. She has a great heart as well as amazing intelligence. And the method that we use um obliges us to learn from people with breast cancer as we go. So we start out by looking at the literature and really understanding um, what is already considered, quote, generalizable knowledge out there in the field. But then we learn as we go from the people that we are talking with and interviewing how to get better at the interviewing um, during the beginning of the study. We also do a lot of work testing out the tools that we're going to use, like an interview guide and getting feedback. Our Health Experiences USA initiative has a wonderful patient, national patient and consumer advisory board that will help us as we're getting ready with new studies going into the field. Um, we talk with them about it. And we do um, what's called grounded theory, which I, I love because we all want to be grounded. And it means being grounded in the wisdom and experiences of people telling their stories. Now, how did you go
1: about finding a diverse group? So it wasn't just, you know, me, I'm a 50 year old white woman living in Oregon who had breast cancer. Like, how did you make sure it wasn't just women like me?
2: That's a great question. We are grateful to have a whole network across the United States of um, action researchers and people who do what's called implementation science or the science of dissemination. Um, We have infrastructure in that world for doing recruitment we had a wonderful clinical partner at the University of Wisconsin-Madison Dr. Amy Tavar work who helped us with recruitment and then this whole network around the country of our partners at um, University of New Mexico and Yale and Johns Hopkins and Oregon Health and Sciences University and University of Utah who could help us brainstorm we did community recruitment um, we continued to look at who we had talked to and who we had yet to talk to, and we became more pointed with who we were reaching out to over time, and we got an imperfect but quite diverse sample.
1: Well, we are all perfectly imperfect, so that makes a lot of sense. Uh,
2: We do need to take
1: a short break, so listeners, stay with us. Remember, you can make a donation on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444 to help Breast Friends continue on its mission to ensure that women do not go through cancer alone. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back.
1: I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is clinical professor, Professor live radio, blah, uh, Rachel Grob from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And we've been talking about Health Experiences USA, which is wonderful resource which Rachel and her team have compiled about breast cancer experiences. And we're just going to continue talking about this. So when I was interviewed, Rachel, it for me, it was very cathartic and freeing. share my story that someone wanted to listen and, you know, they valued my experience and that really meant a lot to me. But what else have you heard from participants about sharing?
2: We've certainly heard what you just mentioned echoed many times but what I'm going to do is ask that we queue up our first clip here and hear directly one of the 375 clips that's on Health Experiences <laughs> USA. This is a montage that we made of a number of people talking about why they did want to tell their story. And just fair warning, one of the clips is in Spanish on the site. There are subtitles, um, but I hope your Spanish-speaking listeners enjoy that and your English-speaking Speaking listeners understand it will be
4: um, quite short. Let's queue up clip number one. It's really important for people to be able to see themselves or see some part of themselves reflected. And for me, I didn't really have that. Um, Even now as we're recording, it's uh, trans and non-binary people are very underrepresented. Um, And to have the intersections that I do as somebody who is queer, non-binary, mixed race, I think that we need more people from these intersections coming forward.
3: I saw this as another avenue uh another place to to put the story out there that men get breast cancer.
5: I really loved and still do and appreciate the the purpose of this in in terms of you know. Relating to medical professionals and students and community people.
6: But if I could just sit there and tell a story or tell my story and be open about it and honest about it, and maybe it'll make a difference to one person, one physician, maybe one somebody, then I'm okay with that.
4: I wanted to tell my story for somebody who's around my age mm-hmm. that's you can you can do it you know it's hard at first because you're young but i want them to know that they can do
5: it i can do it you can do it bueno pues primero gracias por estar aquí por uh, tomarse el tiempo para para investigar acerca de esto y querer ayudar a más gente a través del testimonio de uno que espero que sí sea
6: The reason I wanted to tell the story is because I was so afraid when I was diagnosed and there was nobody out there to tell me what kind of things they had to go through. If I could assist anyone um, in... helping someone or helping doing the research or helping doing uh anyone who might uh find uh, find this site in some kind of way uh it's, it's important to me
4: because i feel like the more research we have and the more knowledge we have um if i can help in some small way i
6: want to do that
5: one of the things you know for people like myself seeking education Mm -hmm. i think organizations like yours you put me on the right path and i think that it's important that for people who are in my situation who want so badly to do something you know that there are you know my my father used to always tell me that education is knowing where to find the information
4: Wow.
1: That is all super powerful, Rachel. Thank you for sharing that. It's uh, it just warms my heart because I I feel a lot of the things that I feel echoed in why, you know, why I shared my story. And um, what are the things that in, in all of the experiences that you like commonly discussed from in the, in the field, from, from your participants?
2: We always ask people about how they got their diagnosis, how they knew that there was an issue, um, their experiences in the healthcare environment, because that's an area where action can be taken and we can build on good practices and uh, get better at, at what we do in the provision of care. We always ask people how their lives changed, how their identities changed. We ask them about spirituality we asked them about sex and sexuality um, we asked them about their pets um, and very much about their support systems their family how work might have changed um, so we did all that for breast cancer
1: and did anything come up that it was a little surprising that's not commonly talked about um, in breast cancer studies
4: yeah,
2: one of the things that really stood out, and I'm going to share a couple of clips that highlight some of these things, is because breast cancer is now such a public disease after having been um, a secret disease for so many decades. Mm-hmm. Because of the breast. Right, exactly. And mm-hmm. also, it's mostly women, and so... Right. Um, We weren't really in the forefront, and now that dynamic has changed so much that there's sort of a mainstream, as you all know, of breast cancer, and people have a lot to say about public awareness and symbols like the pink ribbon. They also had a lot to say, and this will ring true for you, Michelle, um, as well as for many of your listeners, I'm sure, about being both advocates for themselves and sort of becoming public advocates. Uh, So I think breast cancer more than perhaps many, say, colon cancer um, Mm -hmm. or other kinds of experiences people have really ignited a lot of passionate conversation on those topics. Definitely. um, If we can go ahead and hear clip number two, Um, We can hear Merle, who's a gender non-binary, self-described biracial person in in their 30s, who had a particular set of experiences with hormone therapy and how it altered their feelings Mm -hmm. of connectedness with their body that really answers that question of um, did we, you know, something perhaps more unusual that we heard in the interviews. So. Let's hear clip number two.
4: I think um, going through menopause and then, like I said, being on letrozole, which is pulling even more estrogen out of me, um, you know, just I like I've completely. um, I think like my relationship to my body has had to be completely renegotiated. Um, My desire is completely different it's much more subdued like um, the ways in which like I feel in my body are completely different Um, it just takes more work to be in my body these days um, on multiple levels like I think I felt most in myself when I was a little bit more angular Mm -hmm. um, and a bit more like I used to put on muscle really easily well estrogen also helps to build muscle so um, you know it is just like, this is just a very different body than I had when I was first diagnosed, you know? And I'm trying to love this body, but it's also a body that, like, you know, it's still one that I'm trying to um, really embrace, to be honest, in terms of, like, um, like I realize, like, my body is, like, doing the very best that it can, or even just, like, calling my body separate from myself, you know? But it's, like... Um, There have had to be a lot of negotiations to kind of, like, Mm -hmm. feel at home in my body, you know? Um, And that the gender piece is really complicated in terms of... um, Like I said, like, I actually felt really in myself when I was a cis-identified woman. Um, I had a much more femme presentation for a lot of my life. I think when I started to change shape too, and then like, I mean, hormones are so powerful, like, you know, um, and this goes for anyone who has transitioned on hormones or people who have gone through menopause or what have you, you know, like hormones are so powerful. And so I guess like, all I can say is that like hormones have had a dramatic effect on how I feel about myself, how I feel in myself. Um, yeah, just like (laughs) they're dramatic.
1: Wow, I 100% identify with the, the hormone issue because I myself went through surgical menopause and the changes in my body. And I, I hasn't haven't even transitioned, you know. I I you know a cis woman, but the I love hearing from Merle about the changes that they went through in and the trying to reidentify with with their body because it is such a huge struggle on the best of terms so i definitely appreciate them sharing that 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 is fabulous so oh these clips are just only heard a couple and they're already like already hitting my heart
2: (laughs) mine too Michelle is there anything you want to add about your own experience in participating in the project? I didn't want to put you on the spot by putting your clips in here. No, that's um, okay. I don't want to turn the mic on you, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's okay. I'm I'm an oversharer, Rachel. I will talk about anything and everything if it helps. Um, it's funny, I went back and looked at a lot of my clips and it really I I feel so empowered now because I'm a different person than I was then. I I was I was much more calm or not calm, but I was more into myself. And I think as I've been able to gather more information about breast cancer and the experiences from it, that I've, I've become such an advocate, but looking back on this, I remember at the time I was honored to sit down and, and talk to, talk to Meg and give this information because hundred percent to me being able to communicate what I went through, if it helps one person, then I feel like I've done my job. So I, to me, like I, I will share and tell anything. So I was just thrilled to be a part of the study and, you know, that it's launching on this national level. It, it means a lot to me that I'm, I'm able to help.
2: It means um, a lot to us as well. So
1: coming, coming off of Merle's clip. So one thing I know that's super important on everyone's mind lately, diversity, equity, inclusion. How did you take that into account when conducting these interviews? Because sometimes it's a challenging road.
2: Yeah, we're still learning. We're trying to improve our practice all the time. We got a lot of input from our national network of partners at all those universities I mentioned earlier, and also from our patient and consumer advisory council. We've been incorporating some specific questions from um, a tool called the Cultural Formulation Interview, which our colleague, Dr. Barbara Warren, brought to our attention, um, and sort of getting better at finding out from people how they feel like their intersectional identities, all the complicated ways that they define themselves, interact with their Breast cancer experiences. And I think we heard quite a bit um, along those lines. We have a, a summary on the site that's called Diversity, Equity, and Taking Action that summarizes some of what we learned there. Um, not only what people struggled with in terms of things like um, financial issues when mm-hmm. the out of pocket payment is a real struggle or employment issues, um, but also what it's like to be a man in the world of breast cancer Mm -hmm. where men are such the minority, what it is like to be gender non-binary or trans in that world, what it is like to be a person of color. Um, I have a memory of an interview that we conducted in Spanish and one of our participants saying, well, Healthcare providers just don't don't know how to be with us Latinx mm-hmm. people, at least in in, in her yes. experience, um, and also what it is like to be a young person, or you know, in the context of breast cancer. As your listeners already know, there are particular sort of diversity and inclusion challenges, like people with metastatic disease who may not fit a sort of breast cancer recovery narrative and people- right.
1: And they're not survivors. So so what are they? And how do they fit in? And um I'm gonna shout it from the rooftop. Stage four needs more, but uh <laughs> go back to my show from last week. But it's it's so important because as you said, people of color are drastically underserved and unfortunately young people are getting diagnosed at higher and higher rates. And with more aggressive stages of breast cancer, because they're not getting regular mammograms and they're not looking for it because, oh, you know, it's common incorrect knowledge that, oh, you're too young. So having a resource like this to really talk to more people of color and to get the word out there and younger people is so important. Um breast cancer is a very public disease with national campaigns and the, the breast cancer awareness month and, and the pink ribbons. And, you know, there's, there's definitely a cancer culture. What did people have anything to say about that? I'm sure they had a lot to
2: say. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they had an awful lot to say. Um, Do we have time to hear one of them say it themselves about two minutes before the break? Perfect. Okay. Um, Why don't we go ahead then, if it's okay, um, let's go back to Asante and hear clip three, which is more about the experience of being a person of color, and then we'll cycle back to the
5: breast cancer awareness after the break. Listen to black women, please. That's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like we are expected to be so strong and have such a high threshold for pain when it comes to the medical industry. And if we're complaining about something, I'd like them to listen yep. and take action. And if you run a million tests and nothing comes back, then you've done your job. Mm-hmm. But don't shrug us off and say it's nothing. Right. Because that is how many of us are dying Yeah. So, not my doctor specifically, mm-hmm. but I know doctors out there exactly. who are not listening. Yeah. And I think that that's the key to the, one of the reasons why we don't, we don't have trust, we don't have faith in our medical system, you know, um, and, and I feel like sometimes it's important to sometimes seek out someone who looks like you, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, my surgeon looks like me mm-hmm. and that's important for me, mm-hmm. you know, representation matters. So mm-hmm. if you have to seek out someone who looks like you, do it. Mm-hmm. You're your best uh, advocate. Trust. Like, trust what I'm saying to you. Trust, trust that, you know, if I'm coming to you, it took a lot for me to get here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I need you to really take the time to listen to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't assume that, you know, I have a high threshold for pain because I'm African American, right. you know, and a female. You know, we're dying, we're dying of childbirth in 2019 because of that. We're dying of cardiac arrest in 2019 because of that. You know, and I know that breast cancer is no different because I know that people, women, Black women have been shrugged off and said it's a fibroid or this or that. And we didn't follow up because we trusted what you said.
1: Oh, wow. It's uh, The sharing of these stories is so important. And, you know, I... I can only hope that it, it it helps things move forward, but we do need to take another quick break. So stay with us listeners. Remember if you would like to share your warrior story with me about how your life has improved after cancer or something that has inspired you, please email me at Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
0: Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. you are tuned in to breast friends cancer support network to reach the program today please call us at 1-866-472-5792 again that's 1-866-472-5792 you may also send an email to michelle Beck at breastfriends.org now back to the show thanks for staying
1: with us i'm michelle beth and my guest is rachel brab from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and we are talking about this amazing new resource Health Experiences USA. Now Rachel we were talking over break and we're going to circle back to another clip dealing with um, someone with some insurance issues which is such an important thing because finances are 100% on top of everyone's mind. So can you can you tee up that one for us?
2: I certainly can. So we're going to hear now from Casey who is a trans man in his 50s who experienced issues with his insurance company, um, who said you cannot have an estrogen-positive tumor and use the pronouns him and he. Let's hear from Casey now, clip number four.
6: They just were all confused of what? (laughs) Because I told them male, and all my records say female, because it has to be. I mean, unless I change it, but then it's still going to, because I had... Female breast cancer. So, it wasn't male breast cancer? It was female breast cancer.
2: So, what was that like in terms of having to do that? Having oh, I gone through the transgender kind of surgeries and so forth. And then. And then having to switch back. Yeah, oh, it this
6: sucked. It's it, it sucks because you should. Uh, I shouldn't had. I shouldn't have had to do that my opinion it should have just and that's the whole but that's a whole gender issue thing <laughs> that's a whole nother stuff going on um but once i told him and then it confused him for a little bit i mean I the phone what? wait what <laughs> what
2: so so was this uh how, how was that kind of you said it confused them and it kind of sucked Was it a was it a morass or was
4: it a a a lot of haggling or hassling?
6: No, no, it was just to tell them they were confused because everything was he, you know. If I had any other appointments prior to this, it was all he and everything else. And then they get the claim for female breast cancer, and they went. We're denying this, so I had to call him up and because they denied it, and that would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I was not going to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay for this stuff. I mean, I was only halfway into it, and they denied it all, yeah. and I went crap.
1: Oh wow. I, I can't even imagine going through a breast cancer diagnosis and having to fight with my insurance company because they're thinking that my my gender choice doesn't match what is is in their records. And I can't have breast cancer because of this. It's it's insane. So um, I, I definitely need to talk to both Casey and Merle. <laughs> they, we're going to connect me with those people, too, so we can tell their stories more. Um, and we're going to let's circle back around to. Um, we've talked about not fitting into the breast cancer community and especially with metastatic patients. And I think we have a clip that talks about that as well.
2: Yeah, we do. Um, There's a bunch of ways that, that we already mentioned that people feel they don't fit in. And certainly the experiences of metastatic people who are living with metastatic disease um, is one of those that was really standout. So we're going to hear now from Amy, a woman in her late 30s with metastatic disease, um, who talks about how the pink movements helped breast cancer, um, but can tend to, to leave people like her out. Let's play clip number five.
7: So I think that the pink movement helped With that, it helped to normalize it a little bit, give a little bit of sisterhood to that. But now it's sort of come to bite us because now there seems to be a sisterhood in the early stage world where you're in it and you fought it and you have beat it. And yay. But the metastatic people aren't part of that conversation because we're still in it. And we're always in it. We are in it until our treatments stop working. And when that bell rings, it's a heartbreaker. Because when that bell rings for me, when I ring that bell, that means I've finished a treatment I can't do again. That doesn't mean I'm done. So um, so that's, that, that's kind of a microcosm of, of where the pink movement is juxtaposed with the metastatic patient. Is there a movement for women with metastatic disease? There is. And if we could quit dying, um, we could get a lot more done. <laughs> um, we have lost so, such powerful advocates in the past year or so. Um, pretty much all of the founders of an organization called MetUp.org are dead. Um, one of them just passed away within the past month. We lost a lot of wonderful women in October. Ironically, Pinktober. <laughs> um so that's, that's the hardest thing because the metsters can't get it done. We can't get it done ourselves. We have to have early stagers on board with us. We have to have people that don't have cancer on board with us to understand the need specifically to save patients who are already sick because prevention's not going to help us. Being vegan is not going to help us. Drinking more water, getting exercise, thinking positive. <laughs> None of those things are going to stop the disease at all. We need researchers to help us do that. They need funding. We need to make an appeal to where that is as popular as going to buy a pink blender. And the thing with the pink stuff is more pink blenders doesn't mean more dollars.
1: Wow. And going straight back to the the research, for every million dollars that goes into breast cancer research, only 20,000 goes to metastatic research. It's, it's just insane. And 30 percent of women who have breast cancer will eventually go on to become metastatic. Th- those stats do not match up. Two percent of the research and 30 percent of becoming metastatic. It, it makes no sense. So having, you know, awareness about this issue in particular is is so important. Um, thank you for sharing that and, and for Amy to share that as well. Um, Now, I'm sure I know I remember being questioned about how do social advocacy groups and support groups like Breast Friends, where I work, factor into the quality of life and people living with and beyond cancer?
2: Yeah, really good. um, Really good question. We have uh, several summaries on the site that talk about the role of social support and advocacy groups. Um, So many people so hugely helped. groups like this Um, people talking about it being a lifeline Um, some amazing descriptions of sisters and scars you know showing each other their um, breasts either reconstructed or not reconstructed tattoos and new nipples Um, people talking about Online groups. This was most of this research was done before COVID, um, before the lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. So it was interesting to talk about here, you know, back then, people talking about online support versus in person, people talking mm-hmm. about what it takes to look for a group, um, and sometimes going to several different venues and several different organizations before finding that fit. Mm-hmm. And then some people talk about the difficulties in groups, which, again, I'm sure you and your listeners are familiar with. Um, If you are living with metastatic disease or you know that you're near the end of your life, being in a group where people don't want to think or talk about dying at all can be hard. If you have DCIS, um, you don't necessarily want to be in a group where people are thinking a lot about their mortality and planning for their deaths if you are a person of color you may want to be in a group with other people who are struggling with systemic racism on a daily basis Um, if you are a man you might want to be in a group with other men if you are a young person you might be want to be in a group with other young people so we heard a lot about all of those kinds of details
1: and it does. It does take work to find that right space that you fit in. So, uh, listeners, do not give up. If you're looking for for a group, just just keep searching because they are out there, and and you you can find the right one that will give you the support that you need. Um, now, with this with this resource, Health Experiences USA, what what type of impact are you hoping to make with this?
2: We're hoping that hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people in this country will find this resource perhaps towards the beginning, um, but also at any phase of their own experiences with breast cancer and that family and friends will find it as a resource. So we want to have a direct impact on all of you who are listening today. That is um, a primary goal of creating this kind of public facing um, summary of a research study that is made to be um, relatable and um, it's something that you can interact with and come back to over and over. We're also hoping that this will form the basis for training for clinicians and social workers and others. We're hoping to pick up on the issue you mentioned earlier, Michelle. We're already gearing up on this of how do we get the coverage that we need for screening Mm -hmm. um, at younger ages and get people who we know have heritable cancer risk um, the insurance coverage they need so that if they want to pursue understanding more about that, they can do so. So working on some policy issues like that. and we want to to publish some pieces off of here, particularly a lot of what people had to say about the pink ribbon. So go um, and look at the advocacy summary on the website, those of you who are interested, um, and we'll be cycling back to that and also to a lot of the complex stories that we heard like Merle's, um, but others as well about hormone therapy and what it's like to live with that. That's something that Meg Wise is really interested in following up.
1: Awesome. Now we have about two minutes left. So what are the next steps for you and your team with this project?
2: We are going to continue to disseminate from here. This is our first action, but any of your listeners who are interested, please sign up on our website, contact us through the study email, or you can contact me directly at rachel.grob at whisk.edu. You can email me and uh, share with me your ideas for dissemination. We want to get this out there and useful as soon as possible.
1: That's fabulous. Um, now, do you? Are you? Um, sorry, my, my brain just went. We um, <laughs> those moments. How are you going to make sure that this resource stays relevant? Because most of these interviews were done a while ago, and things change rapidly. How are you going to keep keep updating and making sure that the content is on point?
2: Yeah, great question. This was uh, delayed in various ways by COVID, as you might imagine. We um, are committed to updating all the resources on Health Experiences USA at a periodicity of about five to seven years. That's what all of the DIPEC studies do. So I imagine we'll be doing some additional interviewing and making sure that the clinical information on the site remains relevant um, and staying in touch with people like you, um, who we hope will remain sort of ambassadors, if you will, um, mm. both to disseminate and to make sure that we're, we're changing um, what's on the site as needed.
1: I think it would be fabulous if in five or seven years, you could go back to the people in the study and do follow-ups with them. And how, how, how's, how has my life changed between, between then and now? Which I think would, you know, I I would be I would love to see that because my life has changed so much in the last four years or three years since I've you know done the interview that it's amazing. But Rachel, gosh, thank you so much for being here today. This has been it, it's such a wealth of information, and I cannot urge listeners more to please go to the website at healthexperiencesusa.org forward slash breast hyphen cancer hyphen overview. <laughs>
2: Is that right Rachel? That's right. Or Just Health Experiences USA and under topics you'll see breast cancer right there. It is not in pink, it is in orange. Well, that's okay. <laughs> Rachel, again, thank
1: you so much and we're we're definitely going to keep in touch because I'm 100% going to keep pushing this. So listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, please visit breastfriends.org. You can make a donation on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444 to help Breast Friends continue on its mission to ensure that women do not go through cancer alone. Our show is available on many platforms here on Voice America's health and wellness channel or search Breast Friends wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to nominate yourself to be a guest or to share your warrior story, please email me at Beck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other.
0: Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.